Well, at my house when I was a kid, my brothers and my brother and my sisters and I always knew when my mom was trying to cut back on the grocery budget, usually to save up for something, because we'd have hamburgers and hot dogs every night for two weeks sometimes. But it was good for us because we, we learned to appreciate, you know, when we had something else. So today is hamburger and hot dog day. You can't have steak and lobster every week. And you guys can decide if Todd is steak and George is lobster. That's uh, up to you. We're going to pick up uh, the story of the book of Acts in Acts chapter 10. And Luke writes for us um, what almost could be a screenplay for a television series or a, an episode of a television. Wouldn't that be a cool series, uh, the book of Acts? Better than Lost, uh, more confusing even sometimes. So we're going to look at this story. It tells itself, really, so I'm going to read a great portion of it to you in sections, and uh, maybe you can follow along with me in Acts chapter 10. Before I tell you that story, though, before we look at it, I want to tell you another story from my own personal experience. In the uh, early 70s, I was on the staff at the Riverside Baptist Church. We were located on the Platte River Drive in Alameda. 455 South Platte River Drive, that was, I, I can still say it. Um, and we, I worked for, and our staff did, for the, um, the smartest, uh, the most prepared, the most forward-thinking man I've ever been in my life. We used to think he was a wizard, Bob McPherson, because there was never a situation that he didn't know what to do. He'd always have a contingency plan for everything. About uh, 1973, we faced an oil embargo as a nation from uh, the oil producers in the Mideast. And the price of oil went from $3 a barrel to $12 a barrel, if you can believe it. The price of gas went from $0.38 cents a gallon to $0.55 cents a gallon. But more importantly, the, uh, imp- the oil that was being imported went from 1.2 million barrels a day to just under 20,000 barrels a day. And so there were shortages all over the place. And Bob McPherson had anticipated that and had a plan. And he said, one of the things we will do is we will never build another building. We were a commuter church. People drove 10 miles one way to get to the church. And so he said, we're we're not going to extend ourselves um, out in any debt. We're going to stay right where we are on the Platte River Drive. About 1975, he got a phone call early in the week. And somebody said, you know, I heard that your building's for sale. No. Well, probably did a little bit more graciously than that. A little bit later that same week, somebody called and said, we're really interested in that location. Is your building for sale? No. No, of course it's not. Further into the week, the third call came. We really would like to buy your building. Would you consider selling it to us? I don't know. I'll get back to you. Within three years, we had sold that building and moved to um, where Riverside is located now, up on 23rd and Alcott. The smartest, the most forward-thinking, the most brilliant leader I'd ever been around, who had a contingency for everything, said, I may have had my plan, but God had his plan. Now, that's what we're going to look at this morning. Peter had a plan. He thought that he pretty much understood where God was going and what he was doing with the church. And then God said, I'll show you my plan. Let's pray and we'll look at that. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'll open our eyes this morning to what you have to say to us through the book of Acts. 
but more importantly, that you'll open our hearts so that when you say to us, this is what I want you to do, that we'll be ready, that we will say, yes, Lord, we're ready to do it. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We'll start in the first verse of chapter 10 of Acts. At At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. That means he was in command of about 100 men. The centurions were really the backbone of the Roman army. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, and Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. And he told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Just a couple of things worth noting. Peter was in Joppa. Why was he in Joppa? Well, the disciples had been scattered, you remember, after the persecution that broke out after Stephen's stoning. And so Peter was visiting the brethren. He was going around and encouraging them and talking to them. And he ended up at a place called Joppa. Joppa, as it happens, is 30 miles away from Caesarea. Coincidence, right? Of course not. So Peter's there, staying at the house of a guy named Simon the Tanner. And this vision occurs to this man named Cornelius. Cornelius was a Gentile. He was someone who had embraced the God of the Jews, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He was one who wanted to order his life that would be pleasing to God, and that's why he gave to the poor and he prayed to the one God. He was not a Jew. He was not even um, one in the process of being converted to Judaism. He was a Gentile. So keep that in mind. And we'll go after this commercial break to scene two. But now we can fast forward through the commercial break. Verse nine. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheep being let down to the earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Whoops. Surely not, Peter answered. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. Peter was familiar with the Levitical Code. He was, lived his life in obedience to what the Jewish customs and laws were. And there were animals that he could not eat because of that. So he said, no, I, I would, can't do that. And the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. 
And they called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. And Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? And the men replied, we've come from Cornelius, the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who was respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. And then Peter invited the men into his house or into that house to be his guests. So here is Peter and he sees this vision and he's wondering about it. What's the deal? Is God saying to Peter, look, um, those, those uh, ceremonial laws and the Levitical code and all that that is part of your DNA as a Jew, as a God-fearing Jew, those are no more. Well, some people would say that, but there's more to this story. There's a lot more to the story. The main thing is that God spoke to Peter and he said, listen, if I say it's pure, it's pure. If I say it's clean, it's clean. So don't call anything that I have said is clean, unclean. The next day, scene three, Peter started out with him and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting him and called together his relatives and close friends. And as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. And Peter made him get up, stand up, he said, I'm only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. And he said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or to visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for you, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? So here's Peter stepping out under the leadership of God's Spirit, to do something that just was against the grain for him. He goes into the house of a Gentile. And you have to understand that this was not just a discourtesy on his part or a small thing. This was a huge thing for Peter to do. It would have raised eyebrows all over the place. It would have made people say, Peter's lost his mind. Or Peter has given up his understanding of what it is to be right before God. So Cornelius answered uh, Peter's question, why did you send for me? Four days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon and suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and he said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately and it was good of you to come. Now we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. He said, I, know, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. And we are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree 
But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was, not, he was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. And all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they had heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have, and so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay on with them for a few days, no doubt to help them understand better and better what the way was, the, the calling to be a disciple of Jesus and to come into relationship with God through him. Peter, Peter saw what had taken place, and he knew now that God had opened a door. Now he understood the vision. The vision wasn't necessarily about the dietary laws. The vision was about people. And Peter could say to them, now I understand that the gospel is not just for a few. It's not exclusive. It's inclusive. It's for everyone. And God is opening the doors. And here we have account, an account of the first recorded Gentile Christian. The first one to come into the church. Because Peter was obedient to God. And God had softened the heart of Cornelius. So that's a wonderful story. You'd think everybody's happy, right? Everybody. The early church should be just fantastically uh, impressed and ready to celebrate. Not quite. We'll start reading in verse 11, or chapter 11, then verse 1. The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, which would have been where the church was headquartered, the circumcised believers criticized him. And they said, you went into the house of an uncircumcised man and ate with him. Peter, you're not supposed to do that. Peter... Where's your mind? How can, you, how, can you, how can you expect us to believe that that's God's leading when you just did something that we know is wrong? Peter began to explain everything to them just uh, precisely as it happened about the vision that he had had and then what happened when he got there. And um, uh, he talks about what God had said. And then he said this in verse, in verse 15. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. And then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I, who was I that I could oppose God? And when they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. So God has made good on his word to Abraham that the, the called people, the people of Israel, would be a blessing to all of the nations. And he's opened the door now for not just for us, 
but for others, for everyone to come to Christ. Now, there's an epilogue here, and one that we'll just take quick note of. And that is that we would have thought maybe that settled the issue, but as we'll see as we go further into Acts, in Acts 15, there still was a controversy going. Some of the Jewish brethren just didn't buy it. And they were preaching that in order for people to become real Christians, they had to become Jews first. They had to be circumcised. They had to follow the laws of the Jews. And there was, um, there was a uh, conflict that took place. And the leaders of the church had to sort their way through this and come, come away with a clear understanding of what it was, what, how the, the Gentiles coming into the church should act and how they should behave themselves and what it meant for them to come to Christ. And somebody else will be talking to you about that as we go along. Furthermore, when Paul uh, wrote the book of Galatians, he tells us that there were people there still trying to convince people that they had to become Jews before they become Christians. And he says to to the Galatians, what's the matter with you? Don't let anybody tell you that. Don't let anybody impose that on you. You've come to faith in Christ, and that's real, and that's what you need. So don't let somebody impose another teaching on you. In fact, he even had to rebuke Peter, because when Peter was in Antioch, he, um, he was uh, at first friendly with everybody, Jew, Gentile, and then when some Jewish uh, brethren came along that were raising their eyebrow, he sort of shied away from the Gentiles and went over to the Jewish side. And Paul said, Peter, you know that's not right. You know that's not right. So knock it off. God opened the word, the gospel, to the to the Gentiles through this story, through this incident that um, took place and Luke recorded for us here. There's a couple of things I want to just, observations I want to make about it for you, and then we'll close. The first is the obvious one. The gospel is for everybody. The gospel is inclusive. Now, I know that you believe that. I know that everybody here would say, yeah, that's true, it's for everyone. And that's true in principle for most of us, but is it true in our practice? Is the gospel of Jesus Christ for illegal aliens in our country against the law? Is the gospel of Jesus Christ for Muslims who hate America and want to kill us? Not all Muslims. Is the gospel of Jesus Christ for people who choose aberrant lifestyles and say it's okay? Yeah. It is. And God may ask you and me to carry that message to people outside of our comfort zone. In fact, he's done that over and over again. The gospel is inclusive, and it's open for everyone. And that has to be lived out, not just believed in principle. The second thing I want to say to you is this. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He leads the church. Sometimes he leads the church where we didn't expect to go. Sometimes he asks us to do things that we didn't know he would ask us to do. And we only understand it as we look back. We only grasp where he was going as we see where he took us sometimes. But a church has to be open. It has to have ears that are open to listen to the voice of Jesus. It has to have hearts that are ready to respond to him and to go and to do what we might not have expected we should do. 
That's the way this church has operated ever since I've been a part of it. That's the church I want to be a part of. A church where you can't explain things just in terms of human wisdom. Just in terms of how well we can reason through what ought to happen and make a great church. But a place where there's a dynamic relationship with God just as there is individually for us. That we walk with God and we listen to the voice of Jesus day by day. That a church does that as well. That we listen to the voice of God. And in fact, I don't want to be a part of the church where you can explain everything just in terms of how smart we are or what a good plan we have. There has to be something more. And it has to be what Jesus Christ, the head of the church, is leading us to do. There's a couple in our church that um, I'm I'm just going to give you this much of a story like this. Derek and Cassie Branstrom. You know them because we shared their testimony. Annika Hanners, who's now Annika McPherson, because she got married to Matt this month, um, shared with them her testimony, brought them to this church, and they found Christ. And some really unusual things are taking place in their life, and so I called up Cassie and I said, would you just come and tell me what's going on? And she said, sure. So she sat down with me, and here's what she said. She said, we, we knew that when God saved us, and God began to work in our lives, that it just couldn't be just for us. It couldn't be just so that we would have happy lives and things would go well. So we knew God must want something. He must be leading us to do something more with our lives. And as a result of a series of of, um, events that God orchestrated, they now have left their comfortable home in Littleton, to go to a depressed area in southwest Denver because they're convinced and sure that God has said to them, I need you to be salt and light over there. That's really gutsy. But it's also evidence of the dynamic relationship they have with God where he says, I'm going to lead you. I'm going to take you step by step where I want you to be and I'll show you why I want you to be there. That's how we've got to live our lives, folks. That's what a church has to be. A place that's open to the leading of the head of the church where he's going to take us to do and to be who he wants us to be. We're going to stand and pray. And I just want to remind you that if you're here and you're just, you just wish you could hear God's voice or maybe you wish you could understand what it means to be in a deep personal relationship with God and you want somebody to pray with you or maybe you're just carrying a burden around, or maybe you're just so full of joy today at something God's done for you in your life that you've got you to share it. There are people down at the front that will pray with you. So come down and, and join with them. Let's pray. God, our Father, we're just grateful that you didn't leave us alone. Jesus said if you didn't go to heaven and, and tell us to just look at the book and figure out the way, but that you, um, you said, go into the world and I'll be with you always, even to the end of the world. We pray that we would be open and listening with our hearts and our ears and our eyes to what you want us to be and to what you want us to do. And we know, we know that you will lead us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next week.